Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for Mick and all that he is. Thank you for his heart, Lord Jesus. And we pray now as he speaks to us, as he opens the word of God to us, Lord, will you give us attentive hearts and will you uh, yeah, help him with to communicate what you've put on his heart, the burden you put on his heart, Lord Jesus. Will you, by the power of your spirit, speak to us, have an impact on us this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's very quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> Good morning. It's great to see you all here and some faces I don't know as well and some returning faces. Looking at no one in particular, Gold's over there. <laughs> uh, so this morning we'll be continuing our series in Acts, uh, looking at the passage Acts 4, verse 13 to 31, and the topic of facing opposition. If we could have the first slide up, please. Uh, Peter and John have stepped out in faith and prayed for a lame beggar to be healed. That's resulted in them being arrested um, and brought before the council to explain themselves. So we've been hearing about that in the last, uh, last couple of weeks. Now, I have never been arrested before, you'll be pleased to know. But I have been held by the Spanish police for nine hours. A few years ago, quite a few years ago now actually, uh, I was part of a youth orchestra and one year we went out to Spain and I was one of the staff helping with the tour. So we'd had a brilliant time, we'd been to Portugal, we'd been to Spain, we'd stayed some with, with some Spanish families, we'd had authentic Spanish food um, and we played some concerts and it was brilliant. Uh, so. That had been an absolutely fantastic time, and we'd all got on the coach to drive uh, back to England. And we were about, we'd been on the road for about an hour, and the coach driver says something that I won't repeat. Um, and we all look forward and see blue flashing lights and the police. And so we pull over into a service station. Uh, where they hold our coach for a little while. Why am I telling you this? Well, we'll find out in a little while. But suffice to say, the Spanish police were not keen on us. They were not happy. It was a bank holiday Monday. I think that perhaps they were a little bit grumpy about having to work on a bank holiday Monday, and they wanted to do less, I think. I think they wanted to find one job they could deal with the day that would tie them up and they wouldn't have to go driving around for the rest of the day. So that sets the scene for that. Remember that. Me too. Uh, as we come to look at the passage. Clearly, I'm going to talk about opposition in that. In that. We all face opposition at one time or another. Maybe you're facing something at the moment. Maybe there's a challenge in your life where you're butting heads against someone or a group of people. Perhaps you've stood up for something uh, that you believe in and you are getting resistance uh, from other people about, about that thing. So, we're going to look at uh, this passage today and we're also going to have a little look at Nehemiah as well, uh, just to see how we can respond to that opposition and what we should do as Christian 
as the Christian body, what we should do in response to opposition. So without further ado, I'm going to read from chapter 4, Acts verse 13. I'm going to hold it because I didn't make it bigger. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that allows to speak your word with boldness. And I pray, Father, that as we study this passage together this morning, Father, I pray that you will help us to learn something that allows us to walk closer with you and to face opposition in a godly way. Amen. Amen. That wasn't me, was it? (laughs) So, when facing opposition, what do we need to do? Well, actually, the first thing we need to do is to ask a question. Why? Why are we facing opposition? What is the reason? Is it legitimate opposition? Did I, or, did I make a mistake? Was I a wally? Did I say something stupid? Was the original opposition, uh, opposition against me standing up for something, but doing it in the wrong way, 
but now it's grown, and perhaps it's all been blown out of proportion. Back to the bus story. What I didn't tell you was why the police decided to pull us over. Because uh, we were on our way home, we always used to do a collection for the bus drivers to say thank you for driving us and keeping us safe. Um, and they were great guys. They were great fun to be with. So I was uh, walking down the coach with a bucket, collecting some money so that we could buy them a gift at the next service station. Proper classy gift uh, there. Nice service station gift. As it turns out, it's illegal to stand up on a moving vehicle in Spain. And the police may have seen me standing up. So, obviously in this scenario, I'm doing something wrong. They were right to pull us over. I was doing something that was against the law. I might not have known it, but that wasn't an excuse. However, once they pulled us over, and they discussed about the standing up, and I have a feeling that the people that were discussing with the police may not have been entirely uh, honest about why I was standing up. I think the words sick child may have been used uh, in amongst it. Um, but because after that, you would have thought, okay, they've said that, maybe they give us a fine, or something like that, and then we'd be on our merry way. Except they didn't. They decided they need to see, needed to see all our passports. And then they decided they needed to see all the coach documentation. And then they decided they wanted to weigh the coach. And then they decided that the list of people we had, which is not a legal requirement, because we did check this, we had a long list of people, but as well as the coach, we also had a, a small car and a, a people carrier that was traveling with us so that we had a bit of flexibility. And so those names were on the list as well. And they wanted to know where they were. I think they thought maybe we were hiding them under the coach or something. Um, and that's what resulted in us being there for nine hours. So the opposition was that for us there started with a legitimate reason, but it got blown all out of proportion. It was, an un it was unjust, and we had children from 11 up to adults of 60. It was a bank holiday Monday, so if any of you have been to somewhere like Spain on a bank holiday Monday, you will know that there is nothing open. I mean nothing. The town was dead. And that meant that we only had the supplies on the coach um, that we'd got with us. Now, we'd, we'd got lots of bottled water, um, but probably not nine hours' worth of bottled water. We had a bit of duty-free, uh, so some of the older ones of us were sacrificial and didn't drink the water, and uh, we cracked open the duty-free instead. Um, But it just wasn't right, was it? And even if they'd held, held our uh, drivers for a while, um, but let us go to somewhere where we could have got some food and some drink, perhaps that would have been okay, but they didn't. So let's get back to the passage. 
what we read was, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Now, the word boldness in this passage uh, comes from the Greek word parisia, or parisia. I'm looking to Stephen for a pronunciation. He's shrugging, so we're going to go with that. Uh, and what that means, it isn't just a boldness. It's not just uh, being a little bit confident. It's spirit-inspired courage and confidence uh, to speak in spite of any danger or threat. That's what they were speaking with. Now, David touched on this a little bit, um, but the, they talk about them being uneducated and common men. It doesn't mean that they were unintelligent. Perhaps a better way to explain what that meant was that they were non-professionals. They weren't professional rabbis. They were not expected to know the, the Old Testament in the way that they did. They weren't expected to stand up in the supreme court of the land and speak with such confidence. They were meant to be cowering in fear at these great leaders, and they were stood strong speaking in confidence about Jesus to them. That's why it's remarkable. That's why they were astonished. Not because they were stupid. Not because they didn't have big fancy jobs. It was because they knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament better, maybe, than some of the rabbis. Often, people in power fear people more than they fear God. They fear losing power and influence. I think that's probably what was happening here. We'd already heard that there was no opposition, that they couldn't deny what had happened, and yet still they're trying to stop what's happening. Perhaps if you're facing opposition at the moment, perhaps it's in work with, uh, with your boss or uh, with someone in another area of work, and perhaps they, perhaps they fear that uh, because of what you're doing that they're going to lose some power or some influence. Understanding the true root of opposition helps us to understand how to respond better. It might not be personal. It probably isn't personal. Either it might be something going on in their life or a way that they think. May, if, it's to do, if you're speaking out the gospel and it's opposition to that, it's opposition to Jesus, not to you. If you take away the personal element, it makes it easier to respond. Now, I say that from the front, knowing that that is a lot easier said than done. But if we do try and do that, perhaps, perhaps we can respond in the way that we see uh, Peter and John respond, uh, and how we see Jesus respond to opposition throughout the New Testament. So, next up, they pray. They pray for boldness. It's obvious. You all expected it. What do you do when you face opposition? You pray. You pray, you pray, you pray. They pray for boldness and to continue to speak the word of God. They prayed for signs and wonders. They don't pray not to be arrested. They don't pray for the council to be struck down by an evil plague. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. We need to pray for the people that are opposing us. Jesus is for everyone, not just for us. Jesus is for them as much as he is for us. So we have to, we have to pray. We need to respond with love and grace. And that's hard. I can tell you that I don't always respond with love and grace. (laughs) But nowhere do I see Jesus praying for ill on people. Nowhere do I see that in the Bible. He wants to pray. He wants love. He wants grace. He wants to show these people love so that they can come and know, know him. When we pray for them, if we understand that root of opposition, we know how to pray for them. If it's fear of losing power, then we pray for that. If it's something else, if it's something that's happened in their life, we pray for that. That's how we can bless them. In Nehemiah, a book which is often used as reference for people facing opposition, in fact, if you uh, type uh, facing opposition into Google, how to pray, you get Nehemiah, 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 Nehemiah. So I thought I'd use it because Google said it was a good idea. (laughs) I thought that might get an ooh. I think it's helpful just to see we don't want to take this passage in isolation. We need to see what the whole Bible says about this. And that's why I want to look at Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, from the moment he hears about the destruction of the walls, he prays. Straight away, he prays. He doesn't do anything else. He prays. In chapter 4, when they're building the walls, and he hears that there's going to be opposition, that someone is going to come and fight against them, he prays. So we need to pray. We need to pray. So what next? What else should we do with opposition? We need unity. We need unity. Back to my bus story. Although we were held in the, middle of a t- in the middle of a town which was completely shut for nine hours, it was boring. It was boring. But there were 60 of us. So we were together. We had fun. Yeah, we had a couple of beers from the duty-free and some bottles of water and some dubious snacks that we're not sure how long had been on the coach. Um, but we were together. And it, I'll be honest, it did not feel like nine hours. It didn't feel like nine hours. It was much easier to endure because we were together. Peter and John don't pray alone. They go and pray with the rest of the community. It's what it says. When they're released, they go to their friends and they tell them what's happened. They're not alone. They didn't go off and pray on their own. They went and found their friends. They didn't ignore what had happened. They didn't just go, right, we must pray. They went and shared with their friends what happened. They might have said, God, that was hard. We spoke with boldness, but it was hard. But they went to their friends, and then together they all prayed. Whatever opposition you are facing at the moment, or may face in the future, it is pretty much guaranteed that some other Christian, some other brother or sister in faith has been through a very similar thing. You're not alone in what you're facing. It can feel like that. 
But the church is full of people who can guide and support you. There are books you can read from people who might have gone through a similar thing and walked with the faith. They'll tell you what they did well, what they didn't do well, and how to do it. We need our community. We need our family to walk through this opposition together. We shouldn't be doing it alone. God wants us to do it with our church, to share with our church and to pray together. When God told, when uh, Nehemiah wanted to uh, go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, when he got to Jerusalem, he didn't rebuild the walls himself. He gathered the Jews and the leaders and all the community together. And they built the walls together. He gathers everyone. As they faced opposition, they prayed together. Although it was led by Nehemiah, they did everything together. You don't need to face what you're going through alone. We have a family here. Many of you are part of growth groups. You have people that you can share with. You can share with your friends. And we can pray together. We can walk through this opposition together. But, However, in prayer and unity, we must also do that with wisdom. Notice how Peter and John do not defy the council's order directly. They reply with, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They don't say, no, I'm not going to go and talk about Jesus. They are. It's very clear from what they say that they're going to carry on talking about Jesus. But they don't, they don't fight there and then in front of them. They don't go, no, I am not going to do it. Do you think that would have helped? Probably not. Sometimes, sometimes it is right to stand up in front of someone, but God will give you that prompt to do it. God will tell you what to do. They also don't go straight out and preach the gospel. They go to their friends and pray first. We're back to my other two points, pray in unity. Their response to that is to make sure that they're doing what God wants them to do, to get in line with God. What's the next step? When Nehemiah wishes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he doesn't go straight to the king and demand that he's sent to rebuild the walls. That's not what he does. It's four months before he gets the opportunity to speak to the, speak to the king. He's wise. If he just runs off with with no opportunity, if he just kind of bursts in and says, I want to do this, the chances are, as a servant, as the cupbearer to the king, the king's going, who are you? What are you doing? In wisdom, he waits for the right opportunity that God has prepared for him. And so, four months later, he's looking sad because the walls of Jerusalem, his home, the place that, the place that he has, his heart is connected to, the walls have been torn down, the gates have been burned. And so he looks sad. And so the king asks him, why are you sad? Why are you sad? So he tells him. And the king, the king says, what would you have me do? There's the opportunity. If he'd gone before, the king wasn't ready to be told by Nehemiah what, what he wanted to do. But there, there he's asking the question. And even then, Nehemiah doesn't go, 
well, I'm going to need a thousand men and I'm going to need some wood for the gates and uh, we need to gather all the rubble together and build it all up. He prays. First thing he does is pray. Even before he opens his mouth, he stood in front of the king right there. King is here. Nehemiah is here. And he prays. He prays to God for what to do. And then he makes his request. And he just makes one request. And then the king grants that. And then he follows on and says, give me a letter so that when I travel to Jerusalem, uh, I will face no opposition. When, when I get there, that I can uh, use some wood from the forest to build. He doesn't launch in with his, all his requests all at once. He doesn't dive in and go, I need this, this, and this, and this. He waits to see if, he, if the response is favorable before he moves on. It's all too easy when we're in the right, or if we think we're in the right, to go charging into a situation without considering whether it is wise to do that. God has a timing. God is with us. Perhaps we have to endure for a little bit longer. Perhaps God has a time which is going to glorify his name in a way that doing it right now couldn't possibly do. We have to walk with God in this, and we have to seek his wisdom to respond in the best way. So, next up, we have action. What do I mean by action? I mean God's action, and I mean our action. At the end of this passage in Acts, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice how it's God that does something here. He shakes the room. If ever you want a sign that you're on the right track and you're praying for boldness, if God shakes the room, it's probably a good, good sign. If it's an earthquake, not so much. How do you tell the difference? I'm not entirely sure. Except for the fact that we know they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit in an earthquake, well, you're probably on the right track. Don't take that completely for granted. That might not be true. Maybe when you ask that question why, you realize that you did something wrong. Maybe you did make a mistake. Maybe you said something a bit stupid. David used the example uh, last week of someone who uh, walked up to someone and poked them in and went, you need the gospel. I think I'd probably oppose to that. <laughs> if it's not the way that God wants to do it, if you've done something wrong, if you haven't done it with love and grace, if you haven't done that, then perhaps you need to repent of that before before you can face that opposition. The, opposi the opposition might still be strong. It might be unjust, as it was when we were on the bus. But we need to repent of the things we did wrong in the situation as well. None of us are perfect. We make mistakes. That's okay. But we need to ask God for forgiveness for that. It isn't just God that does something here, though, is it? They don't pray and then go off on their merry way and start working and carry on with their day. They don't go, right, we prayed with that, now that opposition will just go away and that's it. They go out and they speak the gospel boldly. 
they continued preaching the gospel. They, did, they took a step, the, God, the step that God wanted them to do. Their next step was to go out and preach the gospel. In Nehemiah, they started building the walls. It's about half done, it says, in Nehemiah. And they find out that uh, some, some of the opposition is going to come and they're going to try and fight against them to uh, confuse them to stop the building. So, what do they do? They pray, and they were together. They sought God's wisdom. They know they're doing the right thing. They know they're doing what God wants them to do, to rebuild the walls. But they don't just carry on building the walls. They gather their spears and their swords, and they wait for the time that they've been told that they're going to be attacked. They do something. And once that time passes, once that's gone through... They know that there's still a threat there. So they do something practical. They split the people in half, and they've got half of the people stood by with spears and with shields and swords, and the other half build the wall. They also have swords strapped to their leg, and I've never had a sword strapped to my leg, but I imagine if you've got an arm full of rubble or you're building a wall, it's quite hard to just grab your sword if someone attacks you. Imagine how much more confident they will have felt knowing that they had that protection whilst they built the wall. Nehemiah saw that actually there was a practical thing he could do. Yes, God was with them. God was protecting them. But you and I both, or we all know, that we can know that God is with us. But we can still be nervous. We can still feel that anxiety inside. God doesn't want that anxiety inside us. So he'll also, as well as giving us his Holy Spirit to help us walk that, he'll point us in the right direction to do practical things. We have to respond with action as well. And sometimes, sometimes that action is to do nothing. Doing nothing is still an action. If you choose to do nothing, you have chosen that action. Doing nothing because you can't be bothered or you're, or you're scared or you're ignoring God. We've all done it. That's not an action. If God says wait, that's an action. If God says no, you just need to let this ride it out. That's an action. So those are the four things that I think help us to face opposition. It's not groundbreaking. It's not going to make it easier. Only God can do that through his Holy Spirit, through Jesus, his death and resurrection. Only he can make it easier. But that's how we get in line with God. That's how we make sure we're facing opposition in a godly way, the way that Jesus wants us to respond. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And whilst I was preparing, I felt, I felt that there were perhaps three groups of people um, that may want to respond. Uh, for this first one, I'd just like to ask you all to close your eyes. It's not because it's super spiritual or because that helps God come. 
I want you to close your eyes so that if you are worried about responding, the only person that's going to see is me. No one else is going to see. We're going to have our eyes closed. If you're currently facing opposition, if you feel alone in that, if you feel like there is no one, no one to walk with you, I'd like to pray for you this morning. If that's you, if you could put your hand up so I can pray for you, if that is you. Father, Lord God, I pray for those facing opposition who feel like they are alone. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit will come on them this morning, come upon them, and they will know you are with them. But I pray also, will you help them to open up to a trusted friend or their growth group, someone who can walk this with them, who can pray with them, Lord Jesus. I pray, will you identify that person in their heart and in their mind right now? Will you help them to step out in confidence? It can be scary, particularly if it's opposition that you find difficult, that you think no one else will. That's scary. But we want to walk this journey together. And if that's you, I pray for you this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit be with you. And I pray that you can speak with a friend this morning and walk that journey with someone. Thank you. You can open your eyes now. I'm a bit worried you'll all fall asleep otherwise. The second group of people are those that are facing unjust opposition. You know that you've done the right thing or you've repented of anything that you have done wrong, but what you're facing is unjust. Perhaps you've stood up for your faith in a group of people and they're not treating you well now. Perhaps they're excluding you from activities or perhaps you're working and you are facing that opposition and it means you're not getting that promotion or that recognition. You're getting all the boring jobs. They're telling you to go and make tea instead of going to something important. I want to pray for you this morning. I want you to know that God is with you this morning. Father, Lord God, For those that are facing unjust opposition, will you help us know that you are just? There will be justice, whether in in this time or when you come again. Lord Jesus, there will be justice on this earth, Father. And I pray you will help those to know. I help them to endure. Will you surround them with godly people to pray with them, to walk with them? When it is hard, will they be together? Will they be able to... Share in that walk together. And if there are practical things to do next, Lord Jesus, I pray you will identify those now. And the third group of people are those that are ignoring opposition. You stood up for something you believed in, or perhaps you uh, said you were talking about the gospel to a friend, and they didn't respond very well. And it hurt. It hurts, particularly when it's a friend. It hurts when you think that you're, t- you're telling them something life-saving and they don't want to hear it. That's hard. But now you've kind of ignored it. You pretend you didn't, pretended you didn't have that conversation. You pretended you didn't say that thing. You've just kind of gone on with life. That might be the right thing to do. 
but you haven't asked God if it's the right thing to do. So I want to pray for you now. I want to pray that you'll stop ignoring it, that you'll give it to God this morning, and that you will, he will give you the next step. Father, if we are ignoring anything right now, I say sorry for that, Lord Jesus, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray, Father, that you, you will come now, Lord Jesus. You will speak to us. You will help us to make that next step. You will give us the wisdom, Lord. You will give us the wisdom to know what is next. Even if that, if that is to do nothing, Lord, will we know that that is from you, not from us ignoring it? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to come to a time of worship now. So I will hand over to Stephen, who's going to lead us in our first song.